Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You got DJ Bad Witch on the mic. got DJ Badwit. When you're trying to drop a sick new single and you gotta go wipe your kid's ass, it really humbles you. Stay humble, players. <laughs> anyway, when thug life turns into nug life, chicken nuggets, that is. Anyway, welcome to Zero Killers and Zeltzer. I am not DJ Badwitch. I am Kaylee, and I will be talking to you today. Please hold. Sorry, I just had to make a potion. So, I am drinking right now. Let's start with the seltzer and move on with the uh, killer massacre massacre dealio that I'm talking to you about today. Um, We are starting with High Noon Sun Sips. I'm drinking the grapefruit. It is a vodka and soda, and it's delicious. You should try it. Okay. So it's been a while since we've done this. So I'm a little rusty. And these notes I wrote probably about three months ago. So we're going to be learning about this all today together. It's going to be an adventure. We're going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. We're just going to, we're going to do this together. This is our adventure. Choose your own adventure, except for I've already chosen it for you. (laughs) So... Today, we are going to be talking about the Dyatlov Pass incident. Um, just a heads up, I don't speak Russian, so this is going to be a shit show for everyone. Um, but I'm going to do my best. There are a lot of names, Russian names. Um, yeah, so we're going to do our heckin' best out here, children. Okay, so it is January of 1959. A 23-year-old radio engineering student from the Ural Polytechnic Institute named Igor, here we go, (laughs) Igor Alekievich Dateloff, Dateloff, we'll say Dateloff, Dateloff, Jesus. Should I just stop now? What the hell? Fucking three minutes in. It's a shit show already. 
I already told you though, so welcome. <laughs> um, so yeah, Igor Dyatlov assembled a group of nine other students for a skiing expedition. The goal of the expedition was to hike across the Siberian wilderness to reach the mountain or or Torten, located in the northern Urals of Yep, Sverdslak Oblast, Soviet Union. Fun fact, or I guess ironic fact, more more or less. Uh, there is a local tribe called the Mansi tribe, and in their language, or Torten roughly translates to "Don't go there." Um, if you couldn't tell, I don't speak Russian. I already told you, friends, this. Um, so you know, Godspeed to all of us, and uh, be fucking nice to me. You know, I barely speak English, but if they have a mountain that's called "Don't go there," mountain. Probably like I don't know, don't don't go there. Um, so the trip was supposed to be a 350 kilometer ski trip. Um, for you Americans, that's 217.48 miles. Um, I'd much rather be murdered by a yeti than hike slash ski that shit. Fuck that. 217 miles? Absolutely not. Uh, so during this time of year and in this area, a trek of this magnitude would be labeled a Category 3, uh, which I guess is the most difficult in the hiking world. All members on this hike were grade 2 hikers with ski experience, and after this expedition would be upgraded to grade 3 hikers. Uh, I guess this is based off of uh, miles hiked and then the difficulty of the trails that they've hiked, like based off of the terrain. So this group of hikers included eight men, eight men, two women, um, like I said, all two, all grade two hikers. Um, and would be upgraded to three after this hike. At this time in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Yep. At this time in the Soviet Union, uh, level two, or, oh, God damn it, level three was the highest uh, you could be and was a great honor and accomplishment for these young students. Um, Igor was known as an extremely experienced hiker and all other members were ecstatic to have been asked on this expedition with him. So on January 25th, the group took several trains from Ivdel to Viz, Viz High, huh, where the where they rested and ate loaves of bread. Um, you know, you got a carbo load. If they would have done it, you know, the Michael Scott way and carbo loaded while they were uh, doing the hike, they might not have been in this mess. But you know, I digress. Um, 
on January, they also should have eaten fettuccine Alfredo, obviously. Get it together. Russians don't know. <laughs> um, on January 27th, they headed out on their adventure. The following day, one of the men, Yuri Yefievich Yudin, so Yuri Yudin, we'll call him, because that's his name, who suffered from a heart condition, became ill and had to turn back. Little did he know, his illness and weak heart would have saved him from facing a horrid death like his classmates. Who invited him? You, have a, you got a heart condition? Where are you going on this adventure anyway? Sorry, that was rude. Sorry, Yuri. He lived, though, so that's good. One out of ten ain't bad. <laughs> Just kidding, it's terrible. So the following day, okay, I already read that. Um, He had... Oh, we're talking about Yuri still, sorry. He had... Rheumatoid, oh, a rheumatoid arthritis, a heart condition, and some other kind of lung asthma condition. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, who brought the new kid? Like, I don't know. I wonder if he was uh, someone's little brother and their mom made the, <laughs> made the older brother take him along. <laughs> How else did he get there? I don't know. Um, so, and then there were nine... Sorry, I'm flipping pages and moving my microphone. Hopefully you don't hear everything. You probably will, because this little microphone is really good. It's actually just like one of those little on, like O-N-N microphones from Walmart. It was like $20, $25. It's pretty nice. Not as nice as the one that Chris got me. If you're listening, I love that microphone, but it's in storage right now. So we had to get this little, little guy. But anyway... After hiking for a few more days, the group... Wait, did I miss something? Nope. Okay. After hiking for a few more days, the group arrived at Kolatz... Kolatzvackel, a.k.a. Death Mountain. Sound uh, Sounds like a beautiful vacation spot. You know what I'm saying? Um... <laughs> So they made a cache, uh, oh, a cache. So they made a cache of their extra supplies so they could travel lighter. Um, little fun fact, Israel Keys had a cache, a.k.a. like a murder kit hidden all over the United States. One of my favorite, not favorite, I don't want to say favorite, but I guess favorite, one of my favorite serial killers, like, to read about or listen listen to podcasts or um, like audiobooks about is Israel Keys. We will get to him, but I think he's the most interesting because he scares the fuck out of me. But anyway, that's how I know what a cachet is. <laughs> um, so they're just little uh, kits of like extra supplies. In this case, they are not murder kits. Um. So, anyway, on February 1st, they started to move through the pass, uh, Murder Mountain, Death Mountain, whatever the hell it's called. Sounds safe and fun. The plan was to reach the other side. 
and set up camp for the night. However, a snowstorm and strong winds made visibility nearly impossible for even the most experienced of hikers, which these people were. The group became disoriented and found themselves deviating towards the west. Once they realized their mistake, they decided to stop and set up camp on the slope of the mountain. I'm a grade negative L hiker, and even I feel like that's a terrible idea. Why would you go on the slope of the mountain? That doesn't seem that doesn't seem good. What if there's an avalanche? You get swept away. What do I know? Many wonder why the group didn't just turn around and travel the aisle. Oh, oh my God. Many hmm? friends. It's been a day. Um, so many wonder why the group didn't just turn around and travel the mile back down the mountain to be along the tree line and have some cover from the treacherous. Yep, that's the word. Treacherous elements. So Yudin, the survivor, Yuri, remember him? The guy with asthma and a heart condition, believes that Igor Dyatlov, the leader, chose to hold the higher elevation that they had gained and wanted to have experience camping on the side of a mountain. Because, you know, why the fuck not? Sounds like fun. Sounds safe. Maybe... Maybe they get, oh, maybe they get, like, Boy Scout brownie points, eagle points, whatever the fuck they're called, um, for the, you know, for the levels, the different levels of hiking, maybe they get, I don't know, maybe they have a cute little chart that they fill up when they sleep on different elevations, I don't know, I don't know how this shit works, but, you know. Weezy Yudin believed Igor would have made the final call. Weezy Weez. Just kidding. Yuri. <laughs> because a man tried to be in charge and... Oh. Yep. Because a man tried to be in charge and, you know, wouldn't stop for uh, directions. Nine people lost their lives. Good job, Igor. You done good. That'll do, pig. That'll do. So at this point, um, I'm sure you're all wondering where all this information is coming from. If all nine hikers are deceased, that's a fabulous question. That I'm sure all three of my listeners are asking me. Um, so happy, happy to have you. You're the real MVP. And someone has to ask the hard-hitting questions. That's you. You three. You three that are listening to me. I love you. Do you love me? Could you ever love me? It's a reference to one of my uh, previous episodes. Check it out. Episode 5, sucker. (laughs) Okay, but anyway. But... It's because cameras and diaries were found on the mountain near the campsite. Um, 
So something kind of adorable and wholesome before we get super dark. Uh, but the group even created their own newspaper called The Evening or Torton that basically talked about the weather and how much everyone was enjoying themselves. That was until the final headline that read, From now on, we know that the snowmen exist. Extremely ominous and spooky. Um, kind of foreshadowing. Uh... Yeah, pretty, pretty spooky. I'm getting a drink. Sorry, friend. Cheers, mate. Uh, so the group had decided beforehand to make contact with Yuri on February 12th to find him, to give him any updates on the trip. They obviously did not make contact with him, and he, uh... He chalked it up to bad weather or some other delay. <laughs> there was some other delay indeed. Uh, so by February 20th, no one had heard from the hikers. This is when family and friends began to get nervous. It wasn't until February 26th that the camp was found by search and rescuers. Volunteer teams and military search and rescue teams. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I told you these notes I took, I did them months ago, and I'm just kind of reading from them. So they're like, this is how my brain slash writing down notes works. I write down what I think I'm going to say, but I usually do the episode a couple days after I do them. So I remember that, oh, it's like reading a script and it's like, in parentheses, walks off stage. But here I am saying walks off stage because I'm an ignorant. But anyway, anywho. So these vol- or these vo- these uh, search and rescue teams were volunteers and military search and rescue teams. Um, so cameras and diaries found showed that the hikers seemed to be in a good spirit in good spirits when setting up camp. It is believed that around 5.30 p.m. they all hunkered down for the night in a 26-square-foot tent that they all shared. Um, So, I think... That at this part, at this point, I tried to do math and tried to calculate <laughs> how big a 26 square foot tent was. I don't think I did it correctly. But anyway, math is hard. So, uh, so they huddled for warmth, I guess. I don't know, depending on how big this fucking thing was, how big this tent was. When I think about it, I think of it like a military sized tent, maybe, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know how big that is. 26 square foot. Big-ish. I don't know. Anyway. Um, according to the autopsy reports, between 6 and 7 p.m., they ate what would be their last meal. 
the events that transpired after this meal will remain a mystery to this day. I think it's still a mystery. But I think there was a National Geographic. I talk about it at the end, I think. There's like a National Geographic explanation, like a, the fuck is it called? You know, documentary about what what they think happened or what supposedly did happen up there on that mountain. And I don't agree with it. It doesn't make sense with the injuries and everything. But we'll talk about that. Anyway, okay. Um, mur, mur, mur. The first thing that was found in the campsite were the tents. The tent was still standing, but it seemed to be shredded from the inside. Between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m., the group became so spooked that they cut their way out of their tent, fled, uh, fled, fled the security of their camp, and ran out in the frigid cold, some only in their socks and undergarments. They said, uh, fuck a zipper and figured a knife would be quicker and more efficient, I guess. I don't know. Um, so what or who spooked all nine of these hikers so bad that they felt safer running almost completely naked in a snowstorm in the pitch darkness? Okay, they weren't naked, but they were in various stages of undress. Not fully clothed, not definitely not in the proper attire to be running rampant in the wilderness. Um, so some of them were in long johns with shorts, no boots or socks, others in just shorts and boots, but none fully clothed or prepared to face the below freezing temperatures, so around negative 24 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm guessing. Either way, it's fucking freezing. Um, when they started finding bodies, it is actually hypothesized that the members with more clothes had survived the longest and possibly took articles of clothing off their deceased friends. Okay. So, two bodies discovered. Over a mile away from the tent was where the first two bodies were found. These bodies were Yuri Nikolaevich, Nikolaevich Doroshenko. That's a male. I put a little M or an F next to them because they were difficult to, yeah. Um, and then Georgie, they called him Yuri as well, I guess. There's like three or four Yuris, I don't know. So Georgie, Yuri, Alex Zivich, Krivonashenko, yep, Krivonashenko. <laughs> they were found lying perfectly side by side and wearing only their underwear, nothing else. They didn't have heaters or generators to keep them warm in the tents, so I'd so I'm not exactly sure why they would only be um in their chones at any point, honestly. 
at any port during this excursion, even if they were sleeping in the tent, because they don't have heaters in there, so I'm not really sure what they're, they're doing in their skivvies. Um, so they were found under a cedar tree. Rescuers found that branches about 15 feet up in the tree were broken. It was believed that maybe an animal or even the elements could have caused the branches to break. It's a commercial. Go away. Damn it, kid. Some of you may know that I am a tattoo fanatic. I have many tattoos all over my body. I plan on getting more in the near future. I actually have an appointment coming up for a leg sleeve, so that's exciting. Um, but recently, a company called Lucky 13s asked me to collaborate with them and to be a tattoo model and a product ambassador. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so a little bit about the company. Lucky 13s is an all-natural tattoo aftercare brand. Uh, one of their most popular products is a tattoo balm, which brings back your ink's vibrancy and definition. It also heals, moisturizes, and nourishes your skin while keeping your tattoo protected. So I will drop the link for Lucky 13's online shop um, in the show notes and use code WELLS, W-E-L-L-S, for a 25% discount on your entire order. Check them out, Lucky 13's. So it was believed that maybe an animal or even the elements could have caused the branches to break. But upon further investigation, it was found that there were traces of human skin and blood in the bark leading up to those broken branches. Seems, seems as if they could have been trying to get away from something or someone and tried frantically climbing up this tree to escape. Uh, their hands were bloody, other uh, hands were bloody messes. There were also remains of a fire. Dor Doroshenko was actually found with burns on the side of his head. His ears, nose, and lips were covered in blood. He had multiple abrasions on his arms, legs, and torso. He also had a strange foamy gray discharge coming from his mouth and around his cheek. Uh, later discovered that this dis discharge could have been the result of an immense pressure pushing down on, or pushing down and collapsing his chest. <sighs> um, so sorry, my damn dogs keep barking. So we just talked about Doroshenko and his injuries. Uh, now we're talking about Krivonoshenko. Um, so he had bruises on his forehead and left temporal bone, also on his chest, legs, and hands. Um, pieces of his skin had been ripped off the top of his hands. Ouch. Uh, these pieces of skin from his hands were found inside his mouth. Um... So none of this really makes sense, uh, but he also had a burn on his left leg. So they both have burns 
one of them tried to gnaw their hands. I don't, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, so, next, there were three more bodies found. Uh, not too far from these two bodies, uh, rescuers found three more bodies. So, Igor Alikovich Dyatlov, Dyatlov, Jesus, male, <laughs> um, Zineda, Zineda, Alexinvna Kolmogorva Kolmogorva Yep, that's a lady um, Rustem Vladimirovich Slobodin male um oh my god so it seems as if this group had been running back towards the campsite dietlov the leader was found face up frozen and clutching a birch branch in his hand while his other arm was shielding his face from something so Dietlov um, sound face up, frozen, and clutching a birch branch in his hand while his other arm was shielding his face from something. Seemed like uh, he could have been trying to fend someone or someone or something off. Uh, he was also found with a photo of Zineda Kolmogorva because some sources say that the two were dating. That's extremely sad. Uh, and upsetting. Okay. So, he had no internal injuries, and his cause of death was ruled hypothermia. Um, clothing found to have, clothing found to have high traces of radiation. Uh, he was a nuclear physicist, or Oh, nuclear fit. He was a nuclear physics major. Um, so that could explain the radiation, but seems like he would be smart enough to not wear those clothes after that much, that much exposure. I'm going to lose it. I'm about to just let my dogs out, out the house. So if anyone lives in, uh, Ohio, they see some dogs running around, mind your business. Oh my gosh. So I named that segment. I get to name the segments on uh, Anchor every time I record one, which these past ones have been like one and a half to two minutes each fucking time because the dogs are barking. But this last one was a minute and 28 seconds and I named it Who Let the Dogs Out? It was me. I did it. Okay. So talked about Dyatlov. So, Slobodin was uh, the next to be found. He had some strange injuries. He was lying face down in a, in, in a snow, in the snow, had bloody discharge from his nose, swelling and abrasions on both sides of his face. His skin was ripped off um, his right arm, or his right forearm, bruises on the joints of both hands, Seems to uh, indicate that he was literally fighting someone off. 
um, fracture, fracture of the frontal bone of his skull that was extremely deep and nearly seven inches long. Oh. Multiple hemorrhages due to blunt force trauma, um, probably the injuries that sped up his death. Uh, the last of the three to be found was Zeneda Kolmogorva, who was the one whose photo was found with uh, Dyatlov. She was the furthest body from the rest of the group. She was found with uh, blood around her body, but it was undetermined if it was her blood uh, or someone else's or something else's. Uh, her cause of death was hypothermia due to a violent accident. How does that Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, makes no fucking sense. After all five of these hikers were found, the rescuers had to halt the search and wait for the snow to melt in the spring. Uh, so the last bodies wouldn't be found until May 4th. That's wild. So what is that? January, February. They started in January. They went, or whatever. They started searching in February. So February, March, April, May. Four months. Fuck. So the final four were found four months later in May. Uh, so the the final four group members were um, instructor Semyon. They call him Alexander. Why does that make sense? I don't know. Alexevich Zolotoryov, male. Um, engineer Nikolai Vladimirovich. Cybo Brignoles. Yep, he's a male. Students Alexander Sergeyevich Kolvatov. I did so good. I'm Russian. Male. Um, and Lyudmila Alexandrovna Dubinia. Dubinia. She's a lady. She was a lady. Sorry. Uh, they were found in kind of a ditch downhill from the tree line where the first two were found. This is where the injuries get bonkers. Uh, so I apologize in advance for all who have uh, a weak stomach because this is pretty, pretty graphic. Pretty not great. Um, so these last four did not die due to hypothermia. Uh, they were thought to have survived the longest because they had on the long, the most clothes and were wearing clothes, um, wearing clothes of the deceased. Uh, so that could explain why some of the others were near nude. These four had actually dug themselves a little snowbank to try and block the cold. They also laid down some brush and branches to keep their bodies from making direct contact with the snow. 
um, which I guess is like a survival tactic. Makes sense. Keep your ass off the snow and you won't freeze your giblets off. Uh, So they started a fire, at least for a short period of time. It seemed that the events or possibly, or wait, the events or possible attacks done onto the hikers all happened at different times because each group had different injuries and died at different times. So the autopsy report was done by Dr. Boris Vazrazdeni, yep, and he stated that the injuries to all four of these individuals are similar to that of someone in a car crash or an explosion. There were no cars up there on the mountain, so I don't think it was that. Um, so re- required that. Um, oh, required that much force. Yep, required that much force to cause the that much force to cause the internal damage. Yep, yet little evidence of external soft tissue damage to the bodies. Um. Yeah, whatever. So that would have required. This is what I meant. Oh my god. So that would have required uh, much for more. Oh my God! A large amount of force to cause the injuries that happened to these four, but there were no external soft tissue damage to the bodies. Anyway, you you knew what I meant. You three, you know what I'm talking about. Um. So Zolotoryov had crushed ribs and a literal crush. Oh. Oh, crushed ribs and a literal crushed in chest. <sighs> Everything in his chest uh, chest cavity was broken, concaved. It, yeah. Uh, massive internal damage, no soft tissue damage or bruising. How bizarre. Also, he was missing, he was missing his eyes. Where they at, though? Um... Open wound on his head uh, with his skull exposed. Yuck. Um, so those are bad. That's not hypothermia. Um, it was noted that Zolotarov and Dubi, Dubinia had similar patterns and directions of force in their injuries, which suggests that whatever caused their injuries was not a single inform was not a single uniform event such as an avalanche. Uh, we will uh, talk about that theory shortly. Um, Zolotarov, they don't get easier to say. Zolotarov was also found with a camera around his neck. One, why did he grab his camera? When running from the tent in terror. Um, two, Yuri Yudin, their survivor, said that uh, they took inventory of all items going on this trip. And the night before they left, oh wait, they took inventory of all the items that were going on this trip the night before they left. And he had never seen this camera before. 
So there's a mystery camera around uh, Zolotaryov's neck. <sighs> so one, two, and C photos were never released. Investigators claimed that the film got damaged in water. Insert eye roll emoji. Like I get it, but don't they have film back then? Like, doesn't does it affect it? Would it freeze if it's under? I don't know. I feel like it would freeze. Like, no water would get in it unless, like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't preserved correctly. Maybe they're just lying. And, uh, you know, the Russian or Soviet government hiding something. Who knows? What do I know? I'm an American. Um, Dubinia was found with by far the worst injuries of the group. Hold on to your... uh, yeah, hold on to whatever you got. Your giblets, your titties, your boobies, your ass, your teeth. I don't know what you have. Listen up and hold on to your body parts. Um, She was found with her head tilted back and her mouth open wide, almost as if she were frozen mid-scream. Um, 16 out of 10. Do not recommend looking up these photos. Um, yeah, just don't, don't do it. Um, yeah, nightmare fuel. Uh, she was found wearing a short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt, two sweaters, underwear, long socks, two pairs of pants, outer pants, uh, the outer pants burned by fire, a hat, two pairs of socks, and had also cut up a sweater and wrapped it around her feet. No shoes. Um, maybe, maybe the burnt clothes were from the first men. Uh, the first two men with the burns on them. Who knows? Uh, she did have some soft tissue damage slash missing. Uh, can be attributed to frostbite. She was... Um, she was, uh, missing her tongue. Yep. That happened. Uh, so tongue gone. Somebody, another guy's missing his fucking eyeballs. It's cool. Um, so it was stated in several resources that it appeared to have been ripped. Oh, that hurts my tongue. Ripped out from the root. Ugh. I don't exactly know where the root of your tongue is, uh, but nonetheless, that sounds like, you know, a good old time. Um, fucking terrible. Yuck. Ugh. It was assumed that maybe an animal ate it, but... You know what they say about assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Uh, I don't think an animal just ripped it out. Don't you think an animal would, like, chew it off? I don't, I don't know. Um, one, why would her tongue be the only one that was eaten by an animal? Or only piece of her that was eaten by an animal as well? Why would they just go for the tongue? Okay. Two, they were found under 12 feet of snow. So, at what point did an animal eat her tongue? I don't know. Um, and three, about 100 grams of coagulated blood. Oh, no. I forgot about this part. 
Oh, I just got goosebumps. Oh, I feel sick. Okay. About 100 grams. Who is it? Who is it? You may enter. I'm trying to record something. This is the scariest part, and you busted in here. Bye. See you later. Get out. No. Take your dog. No. Give me five minutes. Please, Mom. No. Excuse me. I said no. One. Goodbye. No. Get out. I said out. You're really building up the ex the the expense, the suspense. I'm gonna lock the door. Please stop opening the door. Fine, love you, love you. I am rude. Love you. Bye. Anyone want a three-year-old? Okay, so we really built built up the suspense there, but here we go. <laughs> forgot about this part uh, so about 100 grams of coagulated blood was found in her stomach oh. meaning she was most likely alive when her tongue was ripped out sorry everybody oh my god yuck um anyway back to her other injuries uh, she was missing her eyes as well. Um, her nose was completely crushed and flattened. Oh, this poor girl. A, oh, my God. Four broken ribs on her right side and six on her left side. Her upper lip was completely gone. Her upper teeth and jaw were exposed. Ooh, huge bruise on her. Oh, she had a huge bruise on her left thigh and her official cause of death Masses, massive hemorrhage in her heart, uh, in her heart's right atrium. Oh, okay. We're not done. We're not even halfway done, my friends. I apologize. Um, so her clothes were also found to have large traces of radiation, much like, uh, Dyatlov. Um, she was not a nuclear physics major like he was so there was no really no explanation unless they were doing the nasty and they were rubbing all over each other and she got radiation i don't know how radiation is transferred that seems right right rubbing rubbing all each other whatever bumping uglies whatever you want to call it um anyway so kolvatov had a broken nose and a deformed neck <sighs> the autopsy didn't share much more than that uh, may have been due to the decomposition of his body. Um, and this was the last one found. Thibox, Thibo, I don't know. T-H-I-B-E-A-U-X. Yep, that one. Bring no less had... Multiple fractures to his temporal bone. That's his skull, everybody. Uh, large bruises on his upper lip. Um, hemorrhage 
hemorrhage of the lower forearm, the doctor ruled out an accidental fall. Okay. Where did he fall from? <laughs> the chests of the final four were all found to have been crushed under immense pressure. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, everybody. Um, so let's talk about a phenomenon called paradoxical undressing. So one of the theories as to why some of the hikers were stripped down and almost nude in a oh is a phenomenal phenomenon a phenomenal phenomenon that happens in about 20% of hypothermia cases known as paradoxical undressing in which hypothermic subjects remove their clothes in response to perceived feelings of burning warmth it is uh, undisputed that Six of the nine hikers died of hypothermia. However, others in the group appear to have acquired additional clothes, clothing from those of who, from those who had already died, which suggests that they were uh, of a sound enough mind to try and add layers. Um, but what about all the injuries of those six that died of hypothermia? Okay, so hypothermia really clicked. Oh, wait, wait, wait. hypothermia really kicked uh, the fuck. Yep, kicked the fuck out of them. I guess uh, Yuri Yudin testified that Alexander. So Yuri is the one with asthma that's still alive. Well, probably not alive now. I don't know. Was this nineteen fifty something? You're listening. Good. Okay. Um. So Yuri Yudin testified that Alexander. Kolvatov kept an avid personal journal that he kept with him throughout all of his trips. That journal has never been found. There was also one camera that has never been found. Uh, so why would these things not be in the tent or near the campsite? Maybe they were taken by the Soviet government. So this is take two, day two. Sorry about that. Um, Chris got home and I made dinner. I made a Hello Fresh dinner. I made some kind of balsam, balsamic chicken noodles. I don't know. It was very good. Um, Hello Fresh, sponsor me. And then I can give you guys a discount code and say Hello Fresh. Ha ha ha, LOL. Um, anyway, so. This morning, I took uh, some of my energized pre-workout, or the blood of my enemies, I like to call it, um, and then I crushed my workout, so I'm actually doing a nine-week uh, transformation. It's called Nine Week Control Freak. Um, yeah, I'm doing it with my team, with my group of girls that I'm uh, a part of Beachbody with. Uh, it's on Beachbody to demand, On Demand. Um, yeah. Listen to a little commercial about it. It's a commercial. Oh, why? Damn it, kid. 
So I am super excited to announce that I just became a Beachbody coach. Uh, this means that I have full access to Beachbody On Demand, um, the app, the website. Um, I have ordered Shakeology, uh, the vegan chocolate, and then I have a green tea pre-workout on the way. So I'm super excited to get this started. Um, Beachbody On Demand literally has thousands and thousands of workout plans that you can try, nutrition advice. Um, They have access to live workouts. You can do it in a group setting. You just do it on Zoom workouts. Um, It's very cool. Um, I feel like a lot of people hate on Beachbody, but those are probably the people that have never tried it. So if you are interested in having access to thousands and thousands of workouts, having access to um, a group setting and being able to be in a group that helps you be accountable for your workouts and your uh, fitness journey, uh, just send me a message on my Instagram at fit underscore mamacorn or shoot me an email at Kaylee underscore wells at yahoo.com and I can get you registered today. Okay, so this is attempt number two at recording my uh, serial killers and seltzer episode eight episode podcast episode. Here come the dogs already. We're just going to open this and we're going to start this shit. Today I have a watermelon white claw. Okay. All right, let's get back at it. So I already cracked open a cold one. Ah, yes. Um, So I'm drinking a watermelon white claw. I already told you that. Uh, But I actually really like the watermelon. Um, White claws are not my favorite, but this tropical, I think it's a tropical pack. It has watermelon, lemon, tangerine, and mango. And that's one of my favorite white claw packs. Um, But I do like Bud Light Seltzer over everything. Um, But anyway, so let's do a little recap um, of the Dyatlov past incident. Um, so I don't speak Russian. I butchered all those names. Everyone is dead. <laughs> all the bodies have been found. And uh, now we're going to talk about the theories. Um, so here are the theories. Uh, one common theory was an avalanche. Um, The group heard a rumble, fled the tent, and headed for the tree line to try and take take cover from the snow. Why I don't think that this is a credible theory. Um, The grade of the mountain they were on was only 16 degrees, so it would have been impossible for there to be an avalanche of that magnitude at that slope. Um, Dyatlov was such an experienced hiker, skier, uh, that if he thought there was at all a chance of an avalanche, 
uh, where they set up camp, they would have not set up camp in this location. Um, all of their footsteps and intent. Jesus fucking Christ. So sorry. Okay. Um, all of their footsteps and tent would have been covered in snow. And they were not. Um, you can't outrun an avalanche. So, if ever you are caught in an avalanche, um, run to the side, not straight down. And if these were all experienced hikers, seems like they would probably know this. I'm going to start a new segment called for Fi- Survival Skills with Kaylee. Skills with a Z. So, look out for that. Um, I'm a travel blogger, a true crime reporter, and a survivalist. So, you know, fucking jack of all trades. Um, so I think that this theory is debunked, but there was, like I said earlier, there was a, I think it was a National Geographic, maybe, um, documentary about this theory, and apparently this is what happened. Some magical kind of avalanche that was tested, um, there were diagrams, whatever, these people are, like, they literally research avalanches. It was like, I don't remember what it was fucking called. But I think it was, uh, I don't remember. Basically, the snow made a pocket, slipped out from under them, and covered them. I don't I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because most of the bodies were not covered. So where, how, how did that happen? They didn't all die from hypothermia. And I don't think the snow would have done all of these injuries. The snow took their eyeballs. I don't, took their tongue out. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't like that theory, but apparently, uh, that's what, that's what actually happened, supposedly. Um, maybe they were covering up something because the next theory is the Russian military or the Soviet military. I think it was Soviet, right? Soviet Union, Soviet military at the time. So it was well known by locals in the area that the military would deploy floating mines, which were essentially bombs with parachutes on them. It's like those little army men with little parachutes. They just toss them up into the air and they explode. I don't know, something like that. Um, So they would go off a few meters above the ground. Um, There would be a bright flash and and they would fall to the ground. Um, I'm guessing the shrapnel would fall to the ground. Um, Search and rescue teams claimed to see no signs of these explosions or mines, but if the military was trying to cover this up, they would have deployed teams to recover the remnants of these mines before search and rescue would be able to get there. Um, Oops. So saddy. Oh, yep. Anyway, so in the month of... Okay, what's happening here? 
Please hold. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, so we're still talking about the military. So in the month of February, there were reports of bright flashes of light in the sky in the area that could be attributed to these floating mines. So, could be. The military uh, pilot... I don't know why the word pilot looks so weird. Whatever. The military pilot that was sent to recover the bodies on the rescue mission refused to have the bodies placed in his helicopter without zinc-lined coffins, um, which apparently the zinc-lined coffins supposedly prevent um, the spread of radiation. So he seemed to have known something, you know, knew something happened, or why would he ask for zinc-lined coffins? He doesn't want to be exposed to radio, radi- radiation, radiation, so he knows something. Um, also, Igor's sister lost it when she was able uh, when she was able to view his body prior to the funeral. Um, so it had to be a closed casket due to the grotesque injuries and state of the bodies. Um, but her brother's body looked awful, aged, dark, and rough skin, with his hair grayed like an old man lying in the casket. And remember, this is Igor Dyatlov, right? He's only 23 years old. He was the leader of this, and they were all college students, so they were all about this age. So the fact that he looked so weathered um, was terrifying to her and their family. Um, So their clothes were tested and found to have twice the allowable amount of radiation, um, which apparently, like I said earlier, they thought that, or I thought that it was just um, Igor and, oh man, what's her name? Igor and then, oh my gosh, so sorry. What's your name? Uh, Hold on, I'll find it. We'll get there. We'll get there, people. Igor and... Zeneda. So Igor and Zeneda, I thought, were the only ones that had the radiation, you know, because they were bumping uglies, whatever. Um, But, so their clothes were tested and found to have twice the allowable amount of radiation. Um, Strange, right? Um, An investigator on the case, Lev Ivanov, Ivanov, uh, at first seemed to be convinced that something violent had happened involving the military. Definitely something violent. <laughs> uh, so the closer he seemed to get to information, the more he was told to step off. He was also told to not put anything in his report that had to do with UFOs, the military, or murder. Uh, so they all died from hypothermia, and no outside forces. Okay, like the died of hypothermia due to a violent accident or whatever the fuck that was. That makes no sense. Um, so this is actually what Yudin believed happened to his friends that night in a 2013 interview. He spoke out. Um, it is theorized that these hikers saw something. 
uh, saw something that they weren't supposed to see, whether it be missile testing, nuclear weapons testing, or something else in the Russian Soviet military or the KGB followed them, waited until they were asleep, ordered them out of their tent, said something along the lines of, knock, knock, come out immediately or we will shoot you, shoot up your tent. ZKGB wait for no one. That was an office reference. Uh, So probably the reason they chose to cut their way out of the tent was quicker than the zipper, I guess. Um, They were scared for their life, so they cut their way out of the tent instead of unzipping it. They were in a frenzy. Um, Probably, okay, not fully clothed because they had to rush out of the tent. Um, The last few may have had a little more time to dress, hence the various stages of undress, which I understand that, like, just a little side note, I understand that. But also, there was no heater or anything in the tent, so they must have had amazing sleeping bags, or why would they be in their underwear? You know what I mean? I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. But, um, so they all probably, wait, they probably all took off running in separate directions because they couldn't kill them all, but they did. Um, (laughs) so the KGB didn't want to shoot them because they would have, they would have more to cover up, so they killed them in horribly random and different ways, aka everyone died of hypothermia because there was there were no bullet wounds, whatever. Um, there were no explainable um, injuries, really. Um, a lot of them had no external tissue damage. It was all internal or crushed in chests, missing eyeballs, missing tongues. Ugh. Okay. Uh, so it was eventually coined by uh, Ivanov, the investigator assigned to the case that it was a tragedy caused by an unknown compelling force because he was told by the government to wrap up the investigation. Um, the Russian government was on some sketchy bullshit for real. Burrito. Uh, so, they actually wanted to bury all nine hikers in a mass grave without allowing the families to have funerals or see the bodies. Now, if that ain't some sketchy fucking shit, I don't know what is. Uh, the families obviously said hell to the motherfucking now uh, and fought to have the bodies returned because there was no reason for them not to, right? If there was nothing sketchy going on, if there was nothing that they're trying to cover up, then why can't the bot or why can't the families have individual funerals for their children? They're young, young adult children, twenties, early to mid twenties. Like why can't they have a funeral for these kids? Um, so the government finally released the bodies back to the families, but, uh, wouldn't allow a mass funeral because they didn't want to draw attention to the event that transpired on that mountain. But nothing happened, right? It was just an avalanche or an unexplained phenomenon. And they all died of hypothermia. So what are, what, what's it drawing attention to? The terrible tragedy that nine young hikers died on this mountain? Don't, don't go there, mountain, you know? Um, 
Seems a little sketch to me. Uh, so the KGB were also on guard at each funeral. What? Um, clearly, that wouldn't draw unwanted attention, right? KGB members with fucking guns? No. Perfectly normal. That happens at every funeral. Um, so no explanation. Just 1959 Soviet Union and they can do whatever the hell they want, I guess. Um, so they invited themselves to the funerals. Um, okay, hear me out. So I got a lot of information from uh, Donnie Eacher's book, Dead Mountain, The Untold True Story of the Dyatlov Pass Incident. This was published in March of 2014. In this book, he interviews Yuri Yudin, and he shares information about his friends along with the theory I just went over. So, remember, Yuri Yudin is the guy with the asthma, heart condition. He did not continue on the hike after, what, February 2nd? Something like that. And then they were supposed to let him know on February 12th that they were safe. Or that they were done. Whatever. Check in with them. Okay. Anyway, so... In the book, he interviewed Yuri Yudin, and he shared information about his friends along with the theory um, I just went over. Um, so, I can't find the exact date of the interview with Yudin, but he died 27 April 2013, before the book was actually released. So, I mean could be could be something hinky going around or going on but uh I mean in reality he was 75 and had heaps of health issues you know um but seems ironic that he died shortly after this interview where he shares his theory about the KGB and the Soviet government um and what he believed happened to his friends, and what happened that day, or that couple of days on Death Mountain. I don't know. Uh, So the mountain was closed for three years after the incident, and the government completely leveled the site where the tragedy caused by an unknown compelled force, or compelling force, took place. Coincidence? I think not! Um, So theory three is that some third party forced them all to leave the tent. Could be Russian special forces, Mansi, native tribe, um, but they were known to be peaceful and helpful to hunters and hikers in the area. Um, But the the Mansi's had no reason to harm these hikers, though it was called Death Mountain or Dead Mountain. Um, There were no sacred burial grounds nearby so there was no reason for them to try and fight off anyone that came to this mountain um they also took part in the search for the missing hikers so i i don't think the mansi tribe had anything to do with it but what do i know um so the fat or the um so debunking this theory uh, there were no other tracks found. 
nothing was taken. Uh, but if there was a military cover-up, there may have been nothing left for the investigators to find. If the military was able to get out there before search and rescue teams, maybe they covered their tracks. I don't know. Um, so, possibility. Um, but now we're talking about theory four. The Chichuna, Chichuna, or get this, the Russian Yeti. Okay, <laughs> okay. So Brignole's self-proclaimed group photo or photographer on January thirtieth took a picture that is now famously known as Frame Seventeen. I might post this on uh, the Serial Killers and Seltzer Instagram. I'm not sure if you want to see the pictures of the bodies. I can put a disclaimer up there so it'll cover the photos until you want to look at them, until you want to scroll. But, um, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Who knows? Um, But Frame 17 looks like it could be a Yeti or a large creature of some type in the photo. Okay, so this has been debunked by cryptozoologists uh, stating there were no footprints big enough around the site to be this cryptid, this Russian Yeti. Um, Checks out, right? Uh, The cryptozoologist said it seemed to be a human in the photo. Hmm. Could have been a human all decked out in his uh, snow gear or possibly even a military member in a ghillie suit. Scoping out the group. They got snow ghillie suits, right? I don't know. Um, how are you, like, that's all you do? Cryptozoologist, like, how cool is that? Like, you just search for cryptids or you just, you're... You're a consultant on cases where there's a possibility of a cryptid. That's that's amazing. Um, so the Mansi tribe believed that it could have been the Russian Yeti or the Curse of Death Mountain. And um, could have been haunted. They could have been haunted by evil spirits. You know, normal stuff. Um, so the legend is that Hundreds of years ago, nine hunters went on a trip up the mountain and they all died in horrific and mysterious ways. Then these nine hikers suffered a similar fate. Hmm. Also, in 1991, an aircraft crashed crashed there on the mountain, on Death Mountain, and killed, get this, nine people. So probably just don't, like, don't go there, but also don't go there with, like, groups of nine. Like, don't do that, okay? Um, don't go there mountain, and don't go there with nine people mountain. That's what it's called. I renamed it. You're welcome. Um, so theory five. UFOs. So a smaller hiking team, along with some Mansi tribe members, saw bright lights in the sky that night. So... These were also similar reports when they were talking about the uh, parachute missiles, whatever they're called. 
Um, so I saw bright lights in the sky that night um, on the same camera that had frame 17 on it. The last photo taken was a blurry night shot with bright white light. Uh, bright li Oh my God. Bright white light anomalies in it. Could be aliens or could be, you know, camera malfunction. I don't know. Uh, the world may never know. Frame 17. And all the other film that's on that one. Who knows that other... Uh, son of a bitch! Who is trying to call me? Jesus Christ. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so UFOs could have been UFOs. Um, but like I was saying, that other camera that was found, they never found the film on that one, so who knows what's on that one. Could, you, could be KGB, could be UFOs. I don't know, who knows. Uh, ironically, oh wait, er, wait, what did I put that? Ironic that um, Ivanov was told to keep all reports or theories of UFOs out of his reports. Strange. Um, he had also found that the tops of the trees at the bottom of the slope had been burned, possibly from a UFO flying overhead. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, they may have been experimenting on eyes and tongues. You know, maybe that's why they're missing. You know, who knows? Like I said, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know. Okay. Whew. Theory number six. <laughs> Lucky. I think this is the last theory, my children. Let's take a little drink real quick. Cool. <laughs> theory six. So I'm torn between this theory and the KGB theory. Hear me out, okay? So, another hypothesis, another hypothesis popular, popularized by Donnie Eacher, uh, Donnie Eacher's book in 2013, um, Dead Mountain, is that wind going around Colot Siakal, Death Mountain, that's what it's called, uh, created a Carmen Vortex Street, which can produce infrasound capable of including, oh, capable, god damn it, capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. So according to uh, Eacher's theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the mountain was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. Okay, you following along? So Eacher claims that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary, slashing the tent up, um, and fled down the slope. By the time they were further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound path and would have regained their composure, 
but in the darkness would have been unable to return to their shelter. The traumatic injuries suffered by three of the victims were the result of their stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. Really, Donnie? I don't know. Okay, so... Dubinia lost her tongue in her eyeballs, stumbling over a ravine. Okay, Donnie. Okay, I don't know. Uh, what? Sorry, buddy. Um, yeah, I don't really see. I don't see how that correlates. Um, but also, um, this was debunked because all members would not have reacted to the same or to the to the sound the same. Um, but similar theory. So, but a similar theory I found uh, brought up by the girls of Sinisterhood podcast that I've been loving listening to is, as they say, probably the most boring, but also probably the most likely. Um, Igor um, Alikovich Dyatlov and Yuri Nikolaevich Doroshenko got into a fight in the tent explains the knife marks on the tent maybe um half dressed because everyone was frightened over the fight and ran out of the tent it was a small tent i looked up what 20 was it 26 square feet is like so five by five is 25 by or 25 square feet so i guess it's about a five by five tent that's so tiny anyway um so that well, that explains the knife marks on the tent. Um, half dressed, blah blah blah. Some tried helping. Some ran away and got lost in the snowstorm. Then things escalated from there. I don't know. Still doesn't explain the missing eyeballs, tongue, or crushed in chests. But um, so I still think it may have been a combination of a few government conspiracies. Um, the KGB. An infrasound combo. Maybe the infrasound was a weapon was being weaponized, and the KGB or whatever the Russian Soviet government was testing that out on the mountain. I don't know. Um, so I mean, the government did oversee the entire investigation and wanted to be in control, even at the funerals. So. That's what I think happened. What do you think happened? Um, I th- it's, it's a little bit of everything. I don't think it was the Yeti. But what the hell do I know? I'm not a cryptozoologist. But that's it. That is the story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Nine hikers went in to Death Mountain zero hikers came out. So what'd you learn? Don't go to Death Mountain. Because what the trail was originally called Don't Go There Mountain. Um, it's named Dyatlov Pass now because of Igor Dyatlov, obviously. Um, just don't go there, especially don't go there with nine people. Um, but yeah, Thanks for listening. This is Serial Killers and Seltzer. I'm Kaylee. Don't forget to follow me uh, at SerialKillers underscore Seltzer or at Fit underscore MamaCorn. Thank you. Cheers, bitches. Happy Halloween.
It's a commercial. Go away. Damn it, kid. Pure Romance is the nation's largest and fastest-growing woman-to-woman direct seller of relationship enhancement and intimacy products, including sex toys, bath, beauty, and cosmetic products, creams, lubricants, and massage oils, lingerie, bedroom accessories, and gifts and jewelry. If you would like to browse my website, go ahead and type in pureromance.com backslash K-A-L-E-E-W-E-L-L-S. Frey Skincare Company is an incredible company that is made specifically for women that sweat. Athletic women that bust their ass every day in the gym. Uh, one of my personal favorites is the 123 Frey. Uh, the 123 Frey is a comprehensive daily three step routine that creates a clear complexion and a healthy glow. It combats exercise and sweat induced skin damage, breakouts, dehydration, sun damage, and signs of aging. It's as easy as 123 Frey. Frey Skincare offers a 100% money back guarantee. Go to www. FREskincare.com and use code KayleeW to save 25% on your order. That's K A L E E W.